0: Please stand for the reading of the word from John chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servant, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. And when the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn out the water knew, The steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. And Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The word of the Lord. Please be seated.
1: Good morning, Highland. My name is Shane Hughes, I'm one of the ministers here, and uh, if you're here in the room, there's a lot of you today, uh, or you're with us online, there's a lot of you today as well, it's good to have you here. Uh, Last Wednesday, as Jeff mentioned, was Ash Wednesday, which means we're moving into the season of Lent. Now, if you grew up Church of Christ like I did, you had no idea what Ash Wednesday nor what Lent was, you knew what Christmas was, but Advent was kind of a mystery, But here at Highland, we kind of, we we put ourselves in this Christian calendar, this rhythm of the year for the seasons of Lent and Advent. And some of us don't have any idea what that means. And so I want to kind of walk us through it real quick. You know, I I want to spend just a minute to explain that because this may be something a little different from you. The season of Lent is from Ash Wednesday to Easter. And it's 40 days as long as you don't count the Sundays, right? Which means that if you gave something up for Lent... On Sunday, you can have meat, or soda, or Netflix, or whatever it is you gave up. um, Because Sundays are resurrection days, they're celebration days. But what we do as a community is we kind of engage in this season. And the reason why we engage in it is, one, there are very few places in the world, particularly in America, that want to remind you that you are going to die. But that's what Ash Wednesday does. From dust you came, till dust you returned. But that's not the end of the story, because the end of the story is Easter, where because of Jesus' resurrection, we too will be joined with him. And so, this, this season of Lent is a time of preparation. It's where you kind of get your mind and your body and your, yourself, even your house, kind of in order. And you do that by letting go and releasing. And so I want to encourage you uh, to engage in Lent this year. If you've never done it before, this is your first year. That's great. And if you missed from Wednesday, jump in right now. And we here at Highland have created for you this this, this resource. It's called Feast Fast. And it's available where you picked up communion. You can grab one on the way out. And each week it contains a prayer for you to pray. Uh, It contains some spiritual disciplines for you to engage in. And there's a little space for you to journal, if that's what you'd like to do, if that's the way you can connect. But this is a way for us as a body to connect together with what's going on in our hearts and minds as we move our way to Easter. I promise you, the more seriously you take Lent, the more you engage in this season, the better Easter is going to be for you the more sweet that holiday. I don't know why it's true, but it is. So grab one of these Lenten guides. On the back is a reminder of our podcast, which we launched uh, last Wednesday. And it's a daily morning prayer. And uh, it's really an excellent way to kind of start your day in in a healthy fashion. I remember James Weiser was one of the speakers on the first week of the prayer. And I can't tell you how many times I was standing next to James and somebody said to him, James, I woke up with you in my bed this morning which is a little awkward, but it's just the podcast. Uh, his wife said it too, but that's, that's okay. Um, it'll be different voices from our body as, as the season goes on. And this is just an excellent way to start your day. One of the days this week I engaged in the, the morning prayer was when I was, I was exercising. I was running around the track at the ACU rec. And, uh, and it, when it came time for the Lord's Prayer, I don't know, I think I've just been conditioned by this church. When I hear the Lord's Prayer, I say it out loud. And so I started to say it, and I went right past this guy probably shouting the Lord's Prayer because I had earbuds in. It was weird, but it's lit, so you just roll with it, okay? So grab one of these and check out the podcast and see what happens when you put yourself in a posture. Put yourself, put your body, your heart, and your mind in a place where God can speak to you, where you can hear, and you can be useful to God. So before we jump into the the sermon today about the wedding in Cana, let's pray. Father God, we are grateful for uh, this place, and I am so grateful for this people. We are gathered here together in the name of your son, Jesus, who forms us and shapes us, who makes us more like you. Father, because of Jesus, we have hope, and because of Jesus, we have peace. Because of Jesus, we see that there is more to the story than what's right in front of our eyes. So, Father, as we are mindful of the world today, we pray for peace and hope to, for those for whom that is growing thin. And to this end, Father, in this moment, as you turn our hearts and our minds uh, to your word, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching, that I might speak your truth and love to these your people, And it's together that the church says, amen. So today's story is about weddings, and I love weddings. It's my favorite thing to do in ministry, is to do weddings, because it's always, there's like kind of this intensity there, and there's this joy and happiness there, and then there's this awkwardness there, and that's just, it's fun. I mean, have you ever been to a wedding where something terrible happened, but it it was super funny? It was super great, right? Like, you're... Somebody shows up, and this happened to me, one of the groomsmen forgot his, like, tux pants. Had his tux shirt, had his tux jacket, had his tux bow tie, no pants. And there was this mad scramble 30 minutes before the wedding to get the pants back to the church. It It was a lot of fun. One time I was in this wedding, I wouldn't have done it again. Uh, One time I was in this wedding where I was officiating. And now here's the secret. If you ever do a wedding, this is what you need to do. When you say, I now pronounce you husband and wife, which is the coolest part of a wedding. Two people come in, one person, one flesh leaves, and you pronounce it. It's like cosmic when it happens. But you say, I now pronounce you husband and wife. You do this. You take one step, two step out of the way. Because then you're not in the picture, the kissing picture. Right? Well, so my, 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 my intern in Arkansas, Maddie, he was getting married. And, and he goes for this kiss two steps away. I'm watching it happen. And he's kissing his bride. And it's a long kiss, almost awkwardly long of a kiss. Kissing his bride. And then his fist comes up like this. And it was awesome. The whole church erupts in applause. It was this beautiful moment, right? Uh, you know, sometimes weddings, there's emotions there, Right? People in the audience are tearful. The groom and the bride can be nervous. Matt Pinson, one of the guys I work with here at Highland, at his wedding, he's an emotional guy. If, he, if, you, if you talk to him about something real, you're going to see him tear up. I love that about him. And, and he is, he's about to do his vows, right? And he's, he's getting verklempt. It's, 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 it's choking him up. And he, he wants to get through it. And his, his bride, Christine, is so beautiful. And he's about to say these things. And on the officiant... A fly lands right on their head. And it just kind of like wanders around their forehead for a minute. That fly was an angel from heaven. Because all of a sudden, Matt's like checking out the fly, looking at his bride, and he gets through his vows. No problem, right? It was this blessing that came from heaven. Sometimes, you know, funerals are funny. Sometimes they're, they're emotional. Sometimes they're awkward, Right? like one wedding where I was at where the best man actually dated the bride before the bride got married to the groom and the best man was like probably two and a half cups in too deep and and he stood up to give a toast And, and he kind of dwelled on that point of the fact that I dated her first which is kind of funny, haha but he just kind of hung out there for way too long it got really awkward or my second favorite moment was there was this minister who was the father of the bride And he really wanted everyone to know that weddings are forever. Like, he really needed everybody to know that that was the case. And you're kind of like, okay, what's behind? What's going on? You know, this is weird. And so there's this, there's, there's weddings have this moment, right? And sometimes it's funny, and sometimes it's serious, and most of the time it's beautiful. But what's about to happen at the wedding of Cana is embarrassing. The groom's family has run out of wine. And in the first century, in in this part of the world, uh, a wedding feast lasted for seven days. It wasn't just an afternoon or an evening. I mean, you can imagine the awkwardness if you you miscommunicated with the caterer and you're short like four tables and there's 24 people kind of standing in the back trying to figure out what to do because there's no place for them to sit. That would have been awkward. These guys ran out of wine. It's not just embarrassing, it's going to be shameful. And Mary comes to Jesus and says, hey, they're out of wine. Is Jesus rude to his mother? At this point, we're in John chapter 2, if you want to open up your Bible there. Is Jesus rude to his mother? What he says is, what is this between me and you? Which a good translation is, what's this got to do with us? Right? And that's not a rude statement to make. It's in scripture and a few other places. And it's just like, hey, this really isn't my concern. It's not my problem. And then he adds, my hour has not yet come. This isn't his wedding. Right? They're not the family that's supposed to host this thing. He's not the one responsible for providing the wine. And there's a, something, there's a sublime joy in a healthy boundary. And Mary's reply is not to Jesus, but to the servants. And just says, do whatever he tells you two. And in, in some ways, that has a little bit of problematic, right? If Jesus says his time has not yet come, then Jesus' time has not yet come. If he's not the groom, bridegroom, then he's not responsible for in this. And so, let's not be trite in our reading of the text to assume that Mary knows her son so well that she knows better for him than what's best for him. Jesus is the son of God. Or that Jesus is having kind of this like, yes, mom moment. First of all, that doesn't make any sense culturally in the first century. That's us reading ourselves into the text. But it's real easy to assume that Jesus is just like, whatever, mom, just get off my back. That's not what this is. I think there's something much deeper here to realize. And that is the divine action, the plan of the divine action is often hinged on human need And prayer. Let me say that again. Often in Scripture, when God works, it's because humans have desperate need and they call out for help. You can think back to the story of the Hebrews who are in bondage and slavery in Israel. For 400 years, they're in slavery in Israel. God begins to move when He says, I have heard their cries. And he raises up Moses. And there's so many times in Scripture where that happens, where that it's human need and prayer that begins the divine action. Jesus is not the bride's the the groom at this wedding, but he is going to step in. And Jesus makes this astonishing contribution: 120, 150 gallons. That's nearly 900 bottles of wine. And so we thought to ourselves and the worship team, like, okay, how can we help us realize exactly how much wine this is? And so we thought, like, okay, let's take 900 bottles of wine and let's put it up here on the stage and you can see exactly how much it would be. Or we thought, like, let's get this 120, 150-gallon barrel and we'll just kind of siphon out the baptistry water and you'll just kind of see it pour up. And in the hour we're here, how little water of that 120-gallon barrel got full. The problem was is that we couldn't find 900 Bottles of wine very easily. Uh, you know, back in California, I could just stop by my elders' houses. I probably would have had enough of it by then. But, but here it's a little more difficult. Um, and again, I don't want to make—I don't want to be blithe about the situation, right? There's there's also that anachronistic move that says, "Well, you know, when when Jesus turns water into wine, it's not the same as like wine." You know, it's, 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 it's more like Welch's. That's not a reading that fits in this text. This is good wine. Which makes us struggle with an even deeper theological question, a disquieting question. Why is Jesus taking the time to make a ridiculous amount of wine for a wedding in Cana when at the same time, in that same city, there are people who are sick And there are people who are dying. And there are people who are possessed. Why why would he do this if someone's starving? Simply to save a family from embarrassment? Why would Jesus waste his miracle power in this way? Kate uh, Bowler came to Abilene this week and she spoke at the Um, library, a fundraising dinner, and I got to go, and it was this wonderful event, and uh, Kate Bowler wrote this book that I I hadn't heard of until I heard she was coming, uh, but it's titled um, Everything Happens for a Reason, Colon, and Other Lies I Love. And, and Kate's story is fascinating because she's, she's a historian by, by trade. And, and she was researching how the Pentecostal kind of health and wealth gospel movement came about in America and how that worked. And so she got to interview a lot of those kind of mega church uh, televangelist pastors like Joel Osteen and some of those, those other pastors. And in um, and, and the course of, of, of writing that book, she discovers she has cancer. And she's very young. She's in her 20s, maybe 30s at that moment, and and she has a child and she has a husband, and everything that seemed to be this bright, wide open future suddenly becomes very, very constrained. And there was no loss in, in what she was studying how God, if you're faithful, will give you money and give you fame and give you health and make you rich and make you beautiful and make you a celebrity. And her own reality was so very different despite her finding faithfulness. And she commented about all the the kind of trite or silly, to use kind words, things people would say. And she imagined someone coming to her husband at the funeral saying, I guess God just needed another angel in heaven. And she imagined her responses in those moments. Why does Jesus take the time to make 120 gallons of wine for a wedding? Well, I think the thing is, is that in John, you have to pay attention to the details. John wants you to work for the the fruit of the gospel. John wants you to read and dig into it. And John, you have to pay attention to the details. And the story of Nicodemus in John chapter 3, that's the story that's coming next. Um, you know, Nicodemus comes at night. And he comes confused and unclear. And he doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. Because Jesus says, you must be born from above. But he thinks that means I have to be born again into my mother's womb. It doesn't make any sense for him. And the, the evening, the dusk, sets the stage for that. The Samaritan woman whom Jesus encounters at the well, the, the well, um, whale? What kind of, what kind of accent is that? Um, Jesus encounters at the well, and, and she has five husbands, and she's Samaritan, and the, the Samaritan five mountains that talk about their holy places versus Israel's holy place, and then actually Jesus is the holy place. And in this story, in this story, the, the water jugs that Jesus chooses to fill or tells them to fill and chooses to change our stone. They're not clay. They're not pottery. Which is, would make more sense because pottery is, is cheaper to make. It's easier to make. It's easier. It's not as heavy, so it's easier to move. Even if they're empty, you can't imagine moving a a stone jug full of water. Once you put it down, that's just kind of where it stays in your house until you die. There's nothing going to change there. But that's not what this household has. This household has six, five, or six stone cisterns. But there's something you need to know about stone versus potty or ceramic jugs is that if if a ceramic jug becomes unclean, this is according to Leviticus, you have to break it. You have to destroy it. But a stone jug cannot become defiled. And so the stone jug gets used for um, ceremonial rites. It has ceremonial value for purification and other things and going on in kind of Israel's religion. And so what that tells us is, one, either this household was very rich or this household is very faithful. And that says something about the nature of the abundance of God in giving. We serve a God who gives amazing gifts, who gives more than what we need or what we ask for, our God who is a good father, who doesn't give us stones or scorpions, but the things that we need not only to survive, but to thrive. And you can't miss the fact that these are stone cisterns. That what had been used for ceremonial cleaning is still just water. But when Jesus enters into the story, when Jesus enters into the picture and the narrative of Israel's history, those things become the means to create abundance for everyone. And maybe this is the moment that Jesus becomes the bridegroom, the host at the table. And if we read our Bibles carefully, Jesus is saying something else. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6 through 8. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best meats and the finest wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples and the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Here's the thing that we're going to learn in this series. I'm just going to give you a spoiler right off the front because I don't want you to miss it next week. It doesn't really matter if you're in the presence of God and it's feast or it's famine. If you have Jesus... You have abundance. This week we're going to see the wedding of Cana where Jesus turns water into wine. Next week we're going to talk about the 40 days where Jesus fasts. And then we're going to go back to a table where Jesus is eating with unsavory people. And we're going to see what happens there. And then we're going to move to Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to go back and forth and back and forth because it doesn't matter what's happening, feast or famine, Jesus is the abundance of God. Jesus stands in the middle of this text sits in Yahweh's seat at the table in Isaiah chapter 25, and he offers a feast not just for Israel, but for the world. Jesus becomes the bridegroom to fulfill the promise of God to Israel and to us. So what does this text say about us? What is the word for the church this morning? I think one of these words is, If Jesus is the place of abundance, then we ought to be people who have fun. We ought to be the people that experience the joy of God. Right? That doesn't mean that things always have to be on the up or we have to pretend that it's always great or things are always going well. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is we should know what the reason for the party is. Maybe we find ourselves as the wine steward in this story. The wine steward doesn't know it was Jesus, but he does know that it is the best wine. And this has two facets. We are so often the recipients of the abundance of God without realizing it is the creator of all things that has given us these gifts. If you don't stop to reflect and think for a moment it's real easy to imagine that you're not in the feast because the wine's not that great but if you pause and reflect on everything that the creator has given you you realize the abundance you have and the second is simply this the steward recognizes that inebriated people can't tell what good wine is. And I think there's a word for the church here. I think there's a word about what does it mean to say what the good life is. There's a tremendous distance between a good life and the good life. And again, I'm going to give you a spoiler. The difference is Jesus. Jesus shapes our worlds and our lives in ways that we don't understand. So maybe you find yourself as the steward. Or maybe you find yourself as the servant. You know the truth. You've seen what God has done. You're kind of scared and also in awe. And it's your job just to bring a cup to someone else. And in the name of Jesus, you say, Be blessed. Um, I honestly thought that we'd have a worship team behind me right now, but they're coming up, so we're good. <laughs> it's just you were just-, it's just, you're just in it. That's all right. Um, let's uh, stand and sing together.